Hallmark Quality Control. Welcome to Hallmark Quality Control. I'm Morgan. I'm Reagan. And I'm Ansley. And today we're discussing When Calls the Heart, Season 1, Episodes 7 and 8. Um, the episode titles are Second Chances and Perils of the Soloist. Let's start with a brief synopsis of what happened. We pick back up with Elizabeth trying to apologize to Jack again after the Billy Hamilton incident. While he intends to show compassion and understanding, Jack digs a hole for himself verbally, and Elizabeth takes offense. She vents her frustrations to Abigail and comforts herself with the baked goods from Abigail's kitchen. Abigail's been struggling with what her new purpose should be now that she no longer has the roles of wife and mother, and Elizabeth's compliments on her scones start an idea. Maybe she should reopen the old cafe. Meanwhile, Elizabeth studies books and research to find a way to get her student beau reading. She can tell he's smart, given the model planes he's built from scratch, and his parents reluctantly give permission for Elizabeth to administer a test to see what might be causing his troubles. Jack stumbles upon Abigail creeping at the old cafe at night, and he suggests, <laughs> and she suggests that he make his intentions more clear and approach Elizabeth as a man and not just a, as a constable. Woo woo! He decides to ask um, Elizabeth for supper, but she, still feeling hurt, gives him a hard time and tells him what she really needs right now is a friend to practice her test for Bo on. He's a good sport, and after administering the test to Jack and then later to Bo, it's discovered that Bo has word blindness or dyslexia by modern terms. Abigail continues to sneak around at night, and Elizabeth starts to get worried. After Jack's very tender offer to help her no matter the time of day, she knocks on his door and he shows her a sleepy Abigail working on the dough in the cafe. Elizabeth gives Abigail a pep talk and reminds her of all that she has accomplished as head widow. This gives Abigail the confidence to accept Mr. Gowan's terms of a 50-50 split of the profits and giving up her row house to live in the rooms above the cafe. Gowan expresses his doubts that anything will come of her business, but we see later that the mere act of turning on an oven in the town is enough to draw a crowd. Elizabeth <laughs> uses some bad dough from the cafe to make sculpted letters that might help Bo to learn visually. She's discouraged to find him heading toward the mine to work with his father after he gives up on trying to read, but she leaves the letters for him anyway. Something clicks for him and we see that his father's hesitation about Bo's learning stems from his own inability to read. Jack and Elizabeth seem to have gotten on the same page finally, and Jack gives a test of his own to Elizabeth, and I'm not really sure what that test was. In the next episode, the town gathers to welcome back Adam Miller, the only man to survive the mining accident. He's been recovering in a hospital and keeping a secret that shocks the town into awkward silence as he exits the stagecoach. He lost a leg and now must get around using a wooden peg leg. He's frustrated and embarrassed at his misfortune and becomes a very disagreeable person to be around as he struggles to find work and accept the charity of others. Meanwhile, Elizabeth finds out she must direct the Founders Day play in one week, and the task seems more and more insurmountable as she learns that the backdrop and costumes were lost in the church fire. On top of this, she must also move with Abigail to the rooms above the cafe. Luckily, a backdrop magically appears in the school one morning, and she receives help from the people in the town. Meanwhile, Adam comes across as harsh with his family and decides to leave town because they'd be better off without him. His wife finds a note, which she brings to Jack. Elizabeth expresses her concern for Jack, the man, the myth, the legend, and the constable as he rides off to find Adam. <laughs> 
Jack finds him in an abandoned cabin and explains that he understands Adam's situation due to losing his own father. After some convincing, Adam decides to go back to his family and walks into the Founder's Day play as his daughter is singing a solo. He sings along with her as the townspeople look on. The next day, as the children clean up from the play, a few of them notice a small image painted on the backdrop. It appears to be Jack and Elizabeth kissing. She immediately goes to the jail to express her outrage, and Jack feigns outrage of his own as they decide that a quiet investigation must be conducted to find the culprit of this scandalous crime. As she leaves, Jack slides some painting supplies in the top drawer of his desk and relies on Rip to keep the secret for him. We close with Abigail um, setting the last table at her cafe and officially opening her business. All right. What do we think of the episodes? Oh, man. A lot of material there. So much going on. So much, so much in the landscape between Elizabeth and Jack happens in these two episodes. I mean, starting all the way from her still being, you know, so wrapped up and kind of mortified in the Billy Hamilton thing to her being mortified at the end to find that picture of the two of them kissing. Like, we've gone a long way in two episodes of that <laughs> relationship. Honestly, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. They're like mm. they're like this giggly couple when they're together in public. Um, so, like, when they sit down in the saloon and she's administering the test and they're giggling and people are looking at it, it's like, oh, you are adults, right? Like, can you maybe <laughs> just handle this with a little bit more discretion? But, you know, I really did appreciate that Elizabeth gave Jack a bit of a hard time when he's like, hey, like, let's have dinner, friend. And she's like, oh, really? You want to have dinner? And she gives him a hard time because the man is dropping mixed signals all over the place. Mm -hmm. He's already clearly stated that he doesn't have interest in a relationship. He's not looking to get married. And then he, but then he's expressing this protectiveness and this interest in her. What is she supposed to think, man? You got to make your intentions clear. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the place that he's in is kind of this, like, I think he's convinced himself that even though he has feelings for her, he doesn't, he's he's still her constable. And he's doing it because he just would protect no, any of the townspeople. No, play is going to play. And it's like, he's, yeah. He's messing around. Like, yeah, I think he is, but I think he's doing it under the guise where maybe he's even convinced himself that, yeah. like, he's just doing this because he cares for everybody, you know, whatever. Well, which and is, so, which I was going to say, it's good for Abigail to point that out to him um she's right to say hey you you know may have thought that billy was a skunk but you're not exactly doing anything about it so you you can't take too much interest in her if you're not gonna make your intentions known yeah and i I think <clears throat> abigail does a good job of kind of laying that out to him like look buddy billy may not have been the one but someday there's gonna be somebody else and you're either going to have to decide to do something about it or you're going to have to get over it. But, you know, I think I think maybe they they show that he has a moment to reflect on what's important in life um when he's he's over at um Laurel's house with the little girls like yeah. uh rescuing the bird's nest and he right after that he goes to Elizabeth's house and kind of lays it all out there. And so, you know, he may have been, he, you know, he was given mixed signals at the beginning, I think, and sort of leading up to this. I think he himself was maybe 
can't kind of couldn't help but flirt with her even though in his head maybe he knew that wasn't the best idea because of his mounty obligations but then he sort of lays it out and says look like I want to ask you to a proper dinner and I can do better than chili and cornbread at the saloon and um, if there's anything you need, that's what I'm here for. And he's, uh, to See, me, that was, that's, that that's was in confusing. a more personal way. That's confusing, though, because that sounds like a date. There's no, like, oh, we're we're both 20-somethings and single and attractive and flirty. We're just friends who go out to dinner together. Like, really? You know, yeah, I, so- I thought it was confusing. He goes in there, he's like, you know, I, I always want to be there for you, and I can I can do better. Like, why are there, why is there any pressure unless this is some sort of, like, a courting situation? Well, if you're I just think- pals, why should there be pressure for it to be some big, some big event? I guess that depends on how you view whatever that dinner was because yes what was it what was the dinner which i think he was going for more of a courtship this is a date dinner sort of thing but i think i she, think he was leaving she, it ambiguous on purpose and she letting her fill in the shame shame, sure. shame no don't be playing with her like that you gotta make I, your intentions clear boy i think he was fairly clear when he came to her and said you know life's too short to hold things against each other mm-hmm. and you know they were right between the subtext there right they, like they i think they both they both knew where that was going so i don't think he had to be quite so like explain it quite so clearly at that point but i also think you got to keep in mind that we find a little bit out more out about jack um when he is talking to adam and he's talking about his own father who was also a mountie who he lost and i think that not only would he have kind of gotten the training, you know, at Mountie school that they would have said, you don't need a wife. You know, if you need a wife, we would have issued one. And, you know, then he also has experience with his own father. And I, you know, it, it was kind of unclear when he says, and then he was gone. I think he means dead. So he's, Mm. he's got a father who died due to being a Mountie. So I think he just is balancing that pressure of realizing it may not be the wisest thing to do, Yet he really does like her and he really does want but, but if he's, to be there for her, you know? If he's got these kinds of feelings for her, how can he do otherwise? Yeah. I get it. I, I get it. He's <laughs> got baggage, but I'm just I'm just saying, as a single woman, you know, just can you just be straightforward? Like, it's tough to put yourself out there. It's difficult to be clear, but I think everybody involved is probably going to benefit so much more from the clarity of what your intention is Mm. than just oh like i don't know we're gonna be flirty and maybe do some things together but don't leave her hanging not knowing what the situation is don't be dishonest with yourself on what the situation is not that he has to say i want to marry you and here's the timeline and all that you don't have to lay that out but it's just like hey like i'm interested in you romantically can we go out his actions were speaking though i i think yeah, I agree with that, but I mean, I don't think they need to, I, I, I don't think you have to say, well, they have to put some kind of term on it right now, otherwise they, he's not being clear about his interest. I think it's, it seems clear from the way they're interacting. They may be telling people and even each other that they're friends but they know that there's something else there would it maybe be good for them to clarify yeah but it they don't have to i don't think it has to be a thing where 
this is either a date or we can't do it because we're just friends and I think having they, dinner with you fear, is too far. What's the fear of labeling it though? Why are why are people these days? But why so, do we have so to label it? To, oh, I don't want to put a label on it. It's too much pressure. It's too much expectation. I'm not saying they're only, never gonna label it. I'm only, saying they don't need to label it right now. I'm saying why what what would be the harm in labeling it to say I have romantic intentions toward you, and you I know, don't know if that's going to work he'll out get, or he's where gonna we're get going. There. He's going to get there. But and don't I ask think the lady to, oh, we're just going to hang out? Like this He is- didn't ask her to hang out. He asked her to go to supper with, to go to supper with him. And I think that the second time that he asks her to supper and says, I can do better than that, he's what he's indicating is that I, as a man, want to spend time with you as a woman. And he doesn't have to say... And let me make this very clear. It's a date and I'm very interested in you. Like I think he can but just he be said, he said subtle. he wanted to be her friend. Well that's what he lots said in the first good conversation. Dating relationships start with friendship. I think this is basically this is dating pregame right here. Like they're not yeah, he's they're not officially there. dating, but this is the pregame warm up where you're figuring out, wow, is this even worth spending my time? I could see that. I just I think that this is probably there's probably a modern mindset that's been applied to this situation where, oh, like, we're just going to hang out for a bit. We're just going to, like, yeah. I don't know, are you attracted to me? And, like, to not have clarity about what they're actually doing. I think yeah. people these days are – they're afraid to put, like, a label on something. They want to be all loosey-goosey. And, you know, they, they are – a little scared to say this is a date and the reality is it's okay if it's a date and it still doesn't work out let me just call I it don't a date think don't, that, be, don't, don't be weird about what it is i don't think that things were magically not awkward and that everybody was just like really clear with their intentions just because it was in 1910 either so i i don't have a problem with the way it plays out and i do think it's interesting too because you have to keep in mind the signals that she's giving back to him are at this point, you know, when she's trying to apologize again and then he's saying, no, it's okay, like, you got fooled by him or whatever, she's choosing to take offense at everything that he yes. says. And then when she goes to Abigail and complains about it, Abigail's like, I think maybe your pride's a little bit hurt there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, maybe no, 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 you're the problem. Yeah, well, <laughs> she also is saying, you know, that, well, he doesn't even want to get married anyway, so I don't know why he cares about what's happening in my love life. Like, that Well, then why do you of, care about the fact that he's not ever going to get married? Like That speaks to the fact that there's some bitterness in her about, yeah. you know, it's never going to work out and it just hurts my feelings that he doesn't even want to get married. And so I think that she reacts kind of harshly to him. I don't mind her teasing him a little bit. He is yeah. kind of awkward when he first asks her to supper and he hasn't really thought it through, but he's making mm-hmm. an effort. And when he's making an effort... She's holding on to bitterness and pride and kind of like, well, you know, whatever. If you're not going to approach me exactly how I want to be approached, then I guess you know, we're not going to do this. So I do I do think you're right. She's she's bitter. Her pride is hurt. And Abigail very rightly points out to her, hey, maybe your pride is a little bit wounded. And it's not about what Jack did trying to help you and look out for you. It's about how you feel about what your own actions are. You're were. mad at you. Yeah. You're, You're mad, mad at, at yourself. You. Yeah. Right. But I do well, think it is within her right to – she challenged him a little bit yeah. when he asked her to dinner. And I think that was within her rights to do because she's saying, 
look, boy, you need to make a plan. I'm not just going out with anybody over here. I'm cleaning my closet out, okay? You you know what? I'm cleaning my closet out that night. Maybe you need to think about this, boy, and put a plan together before you approach me. Which night were you gonna? Yeah, that's the night. I'm, that's the one with the closet. It's sorry, plan. I'm washing my hair that night. I can't. Which she probably yeah. really was cleaning out her closet, right? Because th- she, she's got to move. I guess she yeah. didn't know about the move yet. And she's got all those fancy but... clothes from her father. She's got to sort through. But I yeah. do think I, you know, making him take the test as a surprise. I'm not sure. I there may be a way that she could have handled that better. But then at least Jack, you know, if she's going to give him a hard time, he kind of gives it back to her yeah. with that test at the end, which she totally had coming. So I thought that was fair. But he also, did put a tie on when he went to take yeah, the test. Yeah, I did noticed notice the tie yeah. also. Yeah, but also then when he's going after Adam and she's like, wait, Jack, and he has to turn back and she says, be careful out there. And it's so dramatic. It's like, look, Look, lady, he's going after a depressed, peg-legged man. I don't think he's gonna be. He's fine. in great danger. It like he's painful. gonna catch up to him pretty quick. You know, it, it was painful watching him try to turn that horse around. It took twice <laughs> as long for him to turn the horse around as it did for her to say, "Be careful," because like, she had to wait dramatically until he was already leaving, and then he had no to way, come, come back, back. Jack. Like, uh, turn the horse. Turn the horse. Yeah. Be, Be careful. careful chasing down the depressed peg leg man. Don't hurt the yourself. Man and the constable. I'm worried about both of you as a man and a constable. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I guess other things that happen between the two of them throughout these two episodes, you know, I think they kind of they kind of get on the same page. You know, when yeah. he gives her the test and he teases, and that's when people start to kind of pick up on their interaction and stuff. It's really a bold move that he paints the mural and then puts ah, that little so image of it. That brazen. is a move. <laughs> that is so brazen. Brazen or juvenile. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I I think if it's I tiny, was Elizabeth, though. I would have been mortified. I yeah. Mean, the, the fact he's that not, students found it and... He's ugh. not very solicitous of their reputation around town. The giggling in the saloon, painting them into a mural, which the whole town will be looking at. Yeah, which, like, at this stage, I think that's pretty presumptuous on his part. But, you that know. Was it was very bold. <laughs> it yeah. was bold. It was a move. It, it was, was a move. It was some kind it, of a move. It was a move, but it was, like, not even really a move because was he hope? I mean, I guess he was hoping she would see it. Otherwise, he wouldn't put it there. But it was so small that it may have gone unnoticed. So was it a move or was it just sly? I, think, I don't know. I think it was like a quintessential guy move of like, I'm just going to stir up a little bit of, of trouble here. A little something, and if something. And if she sees it and it gets her flustered, so much the better. Because <laughs> it means she, it bothers her and, you know, he yeah. could kind of gauge her reaction or whatever. So it's like it's, Gilbert, it's, it's like Gilbert Bly pulling on Anne's, little braid and calling her carrots you know just trying to elicit a reaction yeah that that means that there's some sort of attention there yeah so yeah so we see them kind of moving forward making some progress um what do you think about um the storyline with Bo learning how to read i there, you know, I think that's an interesting storyline. I think they're continuing to play on the successful element of the dynamic between Elizabeth and her students. 
there were times where, you know, especially between her and the parents, there you could feel the tension there. Um, I, you know, I'm not always sure. She was, she was like over at their house during the day trying to give him extra schooling. And you're kind of like, what time of day is this that you have free time to be over here? Like when you're not working and, um, you know, but the fact that she's like going the extra mile because she really cares, I think that's a nice side of Elizabeth to keep seeing and to keep playing up. I was confused though when she, how she comes up with the dough because presumably it's some kind of like salt dough. Um, or something, but uh, Abigail was baking this dough, and then it just, like, sat out too long and went bad. But it probably, like, what kind of dough was it that it went bad and hardened, but, like, did it have egg in it? I'm just really curious what kind of dough that was. Like, how did we, <laughs> how did we get there? Was this an egged, did it have dairy in it? Like, this probably still needs to be baked. Maybe she still baked it. In order to properly it, yeah. harden yeah, I've so. done. I did salt dough ornaments recently yeah. with our cubbies at church, and mine didn't look near that that smooth and flawless. They were very detailed. I mean, I looking through when she sort of initially gives the bag to him, you're sort of like, oh, she probably made like one letter. Uh, for each letter of the alphabet, you know, one dough for each letter. But then later when they go into his room and he's got the words all over, like, there's some definite duplicates there. Yeah, like, how either he... exactly did she make? He figured out how to make a salt dough of his own. Yeah. Or yeah. she put way more in that bag than we thought. Than we thought. <laughs> and then, um, too, I was, you know, it was interesting looking at some of the letters up close to see what they were, and I just noticed that the letter T was a totem pole, and mm-hmm. I just thought, is totem pole really the first thing you think for the letter T? I don't know. You was utter. There were cow udders on the... Well, you know, just trying to come up with something that you can make into a T shape. Yeah. yeah. But I, th- you know, I res- you know, I respect the fact that she's sort of going the extra mile and she's trying to try new things to figure out what works and the tension you know between the parents and the son and elizabeth i thought was fairly believable as far as you know if if he's not going to be able to learn to read he just needs to work and sort of accept accept his you know where he's at and what his career is going to be and um you know i feel like that probably is um characteristic of real things that happened during that time as far as it's not important my once my kid reaches a certain age they have all the education that they need and they don't you know they don't need any more they just need to be able to be employed and as long as they can be employed at the mine it doesn't matter what kind of other skills they could possibly develop because they're employed yeah, I mean, Carl gets pretty peeved. Carl's peeved. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't want that big city learning, you know. But I think that you also kind of see that not only does it stem from his own personal struggles, and I'm sure that he couldn't read. He's yeah. one of those people that would mark with an X, you know, his name instead. Yeah. Um, but he also loves his son. And he doesn't want to set his son's expectations too high because Which even as even as they you know he does well on the test they're like wow you're brilliant you're really you just can't read and they're telling him you could be anything a doctor a scientist a teacher and it's it's kind of like yeah he could but also he probably is still just going to be a minor and like that's kind but of but also 
you know, even, even figuring out, okay, he has dyslexia. Okay. Now we have to figure out the best method to teach him how to read. I'm not sure that it would have been this sort of overnight process, the way that right. they're applying, which he would have still struggled all through if he went to medical education would have just been harder for him. And so I think she does. I think that's where I have a hard time swallowing what she's selling is saying you can be a doctor or a lawyer or this or that, or the other thing. And while he's, it's great that he's very intelligent and it's great that you've identified the problem. That doesn't mean that it's going to still be, you know, really easy for him to figure that out. And I think maybe she does get his hopes a little too mm-hmm. high. She maybe yeah. should have had a more conservative approach there and said, look, we identified the problem and now we can work on moving forward with it and, you know, approach that more cautiously. And I think that's where I I really understand where the, the father's coming from saying you're promising him, you're promising him the moon right now. And I'm going to have to be there to pick up the pieces when this doesn't work out. You know, I, there is the amount that we understand today about, um, learning disabilities and different types of intelligence, you know, back then it must've been really difficult in that kind of situation, um, to have someone that people just thought he was stupid. And it really seemed like, You know, maybe she did get his hopes up a little high, but I think she was really trying to emphasize the point to him. You are not stupid. You are not dumb. And don't, you don't have to, I don't want you walking through your life believing that about yourself. You you know, you have a challenge. You have this word blindness or this dyslexia that makes it difficult for you to read, but we're going to find a way to, to teach it to you so that you can understand it. And it's not because you're stupid. You are intelligent. It's just that we need to take a different approach with you. And so, you know, she was maybe trying to write over some of what he had been told his whole life up to that point that he was dumb as a rock, you know? So mm-hmm. maybe she maybe she goes a little far in terms of, you can, you can shoot the moon, do anything, but, you know, she was probably trying to give him encouragement that he wasn't stupid. Yeah. I, I really appreciated the... the kind of arc with the father that he he didn't come from a completely unreasonable place like you sometimes see in those types of plot devices where it's I was a minor that's good enough for him too it didn't come from that place it was a place of protectiveness Mm -hmm. of him like I don't want him to have to struggle through this I want him to have a good life and I don't want him to have to be frustrated through that and it was so nice to see when he's got his letters and he's starting to be able to read a little bit and the father goes in and he's looking at it and it's like you can see that it's dawning on the father for the first time that he probably has the same issue and he's like mm-hmm. oh man that's that's the word cat I can see that I can understand that and his eyes are opening to that as well and it was sort of an emotional moment in that yeah. scene I thought that was really well done I think once again, they're showing very heavy issues and handling them yeah. really well with, with some care, which would bring us to um, the issue of Adam and um, mm-hmm. his lying about his leg and having to struggle getting back into what does life look like now back with my two daughters and with my wife and you know not being able to accept charity and struggling to find something to do to occupy his time. And all of that as he gets integrated back in. Um, what do you guys think of that storyline? 
I I thought about this one a fair bit after I watched the episode. I think, you know, my personal style would not be, oh, let's have the whole town here to welcome back this man who's injured and been in the hospital for five months and is probably not at his best right now and maybe doesn't want to be seen at his best. They handled it terribly. They all went completely silent yes, and just stared at, his leg. stared at his leg. It was the worst possible response. That was not done very well, but I think they may be... I, I felt like maybe they glossed over the feelings that he was having a little bit too much. He survived a tragic and horrific accident. They didn't even really focus on the survivor guilt part of it that may play into the equation. Mm. But this man has suffered a horrible accident. He will now be, he's had this traumatic amputation and he will be living with this disability for the rest of his life. And that is not nothing. That is not little for someone to work through emotionally or to work through as a man being previously being able-bodied, being the the most proficient minor that worked there actually as they stated a couple times. That is not something insignificant for a man to work through of I now have a lifelong disability and I have to figure out how to provide for my family and I'm grieving the loss of the life that I had and the ability that I had that's gone and will be gone for the rest of my life. And I think that they did a good job writing his character and he expressed a lot of that emotion. But what he was getting back from people is just like, I don't understand what your problem is, Adam. Like, why can't yeah. you just figure it out? Why can't you just get back to normal life? <laughs> they, they you know, kept telling him that he was the same person and that is not true at all. Something like that happens to you, you are not the same person. I think what mm-hmm. they're trying to express is they're trying you to say still he has the same cur- courage. You still like, have value, yeah. but that does not mean that he. I don't think you can go through an experience like that and not have changes to the way that you view life or to your personality. That's a significant thing to happen to a person. You shouldn't well, expect him to be, oh, I'm just happy go lucky like I was before, even though I've lost my leg and I was in this horrible accident. He has to change circumstances, have, have you know, have forced him into a situation where he's going to have to change. And I think in that way, maybe, I think having Jack be the one who ends up sort of reaching out to him and saying, like, trying to relate and say, I understand what your family is going through because Jack's own you know, parents sort of went through a similar situation. To me, that was that was one of the more believable ways that they could have handled it. That Jack seemed like he was saying, I understand that something has happened to you. And sort of acknowledging that part of, like, your life will never be the same. But that doesn't mean your life is without purpose. It just means things are, gonna ha- are not going to be the way that they were before. So, you know, I think... I think um, that was a pretty pretty realistic struggle, and I think it was interesting as they tried to portray that sort of through the eyes of his children and kind of how difficult that would be and the sort of, you know, comments and feelings and looks that small children just do because they don't filter things, you know, which they demonstrate in a couple of ways. Um, the little girl, the younger one, I know, said several, like, um, interesting comments about how like um, my Elizabeth daddy has... only has one leg. Yeah, and that one felt a little bit out of like where did that come from? 
But, and then they, she has another one at the dinner table saying, like, Miss Thatcher has big eyes or something, you know? Um, Morgan and, you know, Rose is a little weirdo, just gonna say it. <laughs> she put it out there. She's, she's a little weird, but in a way, the, the sort of out-of-the-blue impertinent comments seem accurate to small children. But she's I, at that stage where yeah. she's asking lots of things and saying lots of things. Yeah. But, you know, I thought, I thought... For the most part, I really liked the way they did that. And the older girl, you could see how much she admired her father and how much that relationship meant to her. But then having her break down at play practice, while the breakdown, I thought, could be real because she's just dealing with a lot of emotions and things that are hard for a small child to deal with. But then having her say that line about, I know the lines, I just don't. I'm not sure if I believe them anymore. And I, th- I thought that's something an adult would say. That's not something a small child would say about. And the, the line was something play. about the town being founded. Like, yeah, didn't have anything like, to do with her actually situation. just a her line, her line was literally for those of us who were struggling to make ends meet. And, yeah. and she's like, I just don't believe them anymore. And you know what it had me thinking and me hearkening back to the first couple of episodes where Rachel says that her essay is written on her heart. And I just think that these kids in Coal Valley have come up with all these creative ways to cover up their academic failings. Okay. It's like, (laughs) I know, I know the lines. I just don't believe them. You know, I could say them if I wanted to, if I really believed them, but I don't believe them. So I'm I'm just, I could have, I could have said them, but I just, I'm not going to because I don't believe them anymore. And then somehow that line is no longer in the play and she's singing a solo. Well, yeah. And then she sings and I'm sorry, (laughs) they have a piano player there, but they don't give her a key. She just starts singing. Okay. And then. I just think it the was whole... a song from her heart. Maybe it wasn't planned. <laughs> it was from her heart, just like the essay. <laughs> just speaking to her. And but I think the whole Founders Day play, well, it's you know, cutesy play and the pressure as a teacher of getting those things ready, I get. But I mean, to have a pre written script with corresponding music and I just think the whole thing maybe is a little unrealistic. I don't know. It seemed like oh, a little bit over the top for a mining town, you know. Well, that- it's like their big town celebration. But what I what I really thought was, you know, they go up to Elizabeth and like, oh, didn't you know that the Founders play is like a week Ugh. from now and you have to do that? Surely someone told you. She's like, well, I'm MC the event. I'm the mayor's wife. It's like, honey, that means it was your job to tell her. So that sounds like a fail <laughs> you on you, Dottie. should have been Dottie. organizing that this. <laughs> that was on you, Dottie. Also, Dottie makes this huge, they make this huge deal about, here he is, my husband, your mayor, the mayor of Coal Valley, about to give a political speech, and then he goes up and says one sentence about, like, basically, he says, thank you for he being says, here. reminding us of our past brings us hope for the future. Take it away. Like, <laughs> she, wow. really, she really uh, built him up a bit, though. Right here in Coal Valley, one night only, my husband, the mayor's the mayor. But also, I felt like at that that scene at the end where he comes in, um, he comes back just in time for the solo. Maybe this was just the sound editing or something, but I feel like he comes through the door and you don't actually hear him come in, but everybody turns to look. And it's like... 
I, no I didn't even hear town. the door. I didn't even hear the door open. But everybody turns and stops. It was a dramatic moment where all the townspeople could take part in healing of one of the families or whatever. It was kind of this dramatic thing. Although I did like the camera shot of Jack shutting the door because it kind of felt like, okay, you've had a glimpse into this, but now it's like a private event and we're going to just celebrate this town. And, you know, I I liked that. That was a great shot. What was not great was that guy singing, unfortunately. (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't think the guitar is something to rustic, fall back on career-wise. Um, it was it was not great. Um, you know, I did. I understand where he was coming from from the perspective of having difficulty taking people's charity. That's some that's something that I feel like being mm. a very independent person. It's difficult sometimes for to like let other people help you and that they bought the nice prosthetic leg for him which was really nice but then that really touched on the nerve for him of you're not able to provide for your family and where did the money come for you from for you to get this prosthetic leg and the people looking at him and and he's already having to take a little bit of a of a shot in his pride that he has to go kind of beg Gowan for some work that he can do as yeah, well, but, so I get which Gallon handles well. I think he's very understanding and is very, yeah. you know, sorry for what Adam has been through. And sure, we'll find you something to do. Paying and I thought Gallon handled that really we well. Could do. Yeah, which, yeah, Gowan handled that really well. And which brings me to how do we think Gowan handled the Abigail Cafe uh, situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so many feelings. He, he, he was so he sly. Was, he was pretty sly, and while I feel like in the in the Adam situation, he was fairly empathetic, and he did what he could to get the guy work, and I feel like he treat he they treated that family pretty fairly, and then you you sort of pivot to the Abigail story, and I feel like I was okay with things. I mean, he was driving a hard bargain. That's his prerogative, you know. Is it the nicest thing to do to a widow? who's now childless, maybe not, but he, you know, he works for a company. He's got to do what he's got to do. I understand him driving a hard bargain, but then to have her sign the deed over and then literally right after that make some snarky remark about how hard it is nice to get fail. one of those, one of those you're probably gonna back. fail. And by the way, <laughs> there's no way you're ever getting this business off the ground because if there was room in this industry and in this community for a cafe, I would have put it up. You're not even going to last two days. I mean, I thought that's for the first time in the series. That's sort of where I thought, wow, I really hate him right now. I see. I didn't have as much of a problem with Gallon um, because here's the thing. He did kind of warn her in the last, in the first conversation they had. He was kind of like, um, I'm pretty sure this isn't a good business idea. I There's a reason this cafe shut down. And she's very determined that she's going to do this. And so I think, you know, their negotiation of ending up at 50-50 is obviously where both of them were comfortable ending up anyway. Yeah. And then I don't think that everybody acts like he's making you give up your house. And it's like, okay, but he's giving you a different place to live. Like she's going to live above the cafe now. That's the trade-off. He needs the house. He's trying to bring more people in. So I didn't have a problem with that. Like that makes sense. I'm not going to let you keep your house and then also have you have these empty rooms above the cafe. Like you can just live there and it's fine. I do think it was a little bit you know, underhanded of him to afterwards say, "You're this isn't going to ever do anything. And if it were going to do something, I would have, 
you know, said something. But again, I think he kind of warned her already of that. And it was a little bit like, I'm going to tell you I told you so. It was like, you know, which obviously, you know, she's doing fine with it. So it, it didn't end up, he didn't end up being right. So I, I don't know. I, my business and that one law class I took in college just make me ask every time they talk about these things was this was a contract written up what were the, <laughs> the what were the stipends and the the you know particulars of this contract i thought it did not it seems like she maybe came out a little bit on the losing end because the the terms were very ambiguous in that she was given the deed to the house that she lived in it was her property it was no longer his property but when they discussed the profits of the cafe and where she was going to live, it sounded like he maintains ownership of the building. She yeah. is going to to do all of the labor. She's going to pay for all of the supplies. They're going to split 50-50. Essentially, he's getting 50% profit for rent for the building. Which yeah. is plus, he get, I mean... plus, he gets her house. Now, her house is not worth nothing. You know, she... Yeah. It, I think if they, if he, I understand why he wanted the house, that would, but for me, that was really the clincher in that it made the agreement more beneficial to him than it did to her. But if you just take the piece of it's his property, she's going to run this business, they split the profits 50-50, I think we're all good. That's a good deal for yeah. both of them. But then him taking the house just seems like a little bit extra. Yeah, but I mean, the, at least in the trade though, She's not making money living in her house. She's going to make money living in the cafe. So even though it's not necessarily a great trade, you know, it's still maybe a trade that needed to happen. But I thought... It was a risk that she had to decide if she was willing to take. Yeah. And, you know, she sort of comes to the conclusion that she's she can be adventurous enough to take the risk, which, uh, you know, is kind of a nice shakeup for her and Elizabeth. But I thought the... Where they have her, um, she's, like, still fixing things up and she's just doing some baking or something. And all of a sudden, there's a line around the block just because they smelled the cookies. First of all, she had, like, one one bowl and one sheet pan of cookies. And then later on, Elizabeth comes walking up and there's still a line around the entire block. Which, first of all, where are all these small school children getting pocket money to buy cookies in this depressed saving every penny because we're all widows living on our husband's death pension economy <laughs> and then she's got a table set up and she has a whole spread of cookies and pastries in a variety of flavors and styles like how is she taking money and selling cookies and baking new cookies to replenish the table i just thought that was that was a little bit out of the blue they really forced that one to try and work for her and show, you know, the yeah. town's going to come together and make sure she succeeds. So many questions with the, uh, that, yeah. Like, where did she get the supplies? How, how did she, in that small oven, bake up all of these things? Why and is the smell of... them. Yeah, why is the smell of baked goods so enticing to the town? Does no one else in the town know how to bake? Have none of these people <laughs> had pastries, except for on very rare occasions, like... Where did all these people even come from? Because I'm pretty sure there aren't that many people that even live within the confines of the town. I'm sure they would have been yeah. spread out across the land. Um, I, I just am confused about 
just why that was such a draw and how there are so many people. It just makes absolutely no sense. If only it was that easy to get your business off the ground. Yeah. Well, but then you will. Just that good. Will you please notice that then when she actually opened up her business for real and she flipped the sign to open, there wasn't a line. No one was waiting for her. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's the time when people would line up is like, ooh, Maybe new business opening. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, well, I mean, you had a good cookie sale. But yeah, also, where did these people get this pocket money? We're getting story after story about we just don't have the money and I'm barely surviving on my husband's death pension. And then everybody has money for a cookie. Sure, everybody. I'll drop a dollar on a cookie. Why well, not? And then... And then Okay, they sort of portray this whole thing of her sneaking in to start fixing the place up. Like, she can only go at night or something. And that made me that think... That was weird, yeah. What is she doing during the day? Yeah, she, she doesn't, doesn't have, have a, a job. job she's and keeping she have house during the anymore. day. Yeah, and so she's, like, sneaking in late at night. I think she should have called in favors with Elizabeth way earlier than that and had Elizabeth help her fix it up. Because why would I mean, she, she was probably, do that all herself? She was probably in there during the day as well. It probably... Probably yeah, took her day. that full yeah. that full day and the extra overtime in the evening to get it set up. But you know, I I have to go back to the to the contract thing really quickly because this this eats at me a little bit. <laughs> that house was very valuable, but she doesn't get any share of ownership in. I think she the does business. get ownership in it because, and and I'll tell you why. I think it's because that later on they explain that Abigail wants to buy out the cafe. And so that's kind of using future knowledge to, you know, inform this. But I, I think that it is an agreement that they talk about 50-50 on the profits, but I, I think that it's really 50-50 of the business, including the yeah. building. Yeah, because if she, if she is trading in the value of her home for 50% ownership of the building and the business and yeah. the profits, that's a yeah. much that's a much better deal. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. it's like, I ain't making more yeah. deals. I keep losing at deals. <laughs> <laughs> you got to write this stuff down in contracts. They keep getting they keep getting bitten on this stuff when they don't write it down cuz Gowan yeah. Yeah. Gowan comes in and tries to take stuff from him. It's like, "Oh, guess you didn't put that in the contract that you needed this extra stipulation or something so yeah Yeah, i mean it's what reading that contract with a fine tooth comb i'll just presume that they had some sort of an egalitarian contractual agreement that we were not privy to on screen i think that's what happened but i also just think people just need to learn from judge judy you've got to have it written down you've got to have evidence okay judge judy knows you have to have everything written make a contract bring your paperwork to court well one other thing i wanted to just uh point out was that there is no way that the vase that elizabeth knocked over is ever going to be glued together again Mm. like maybe you could make a nice table where you put like a little mosaic design on it there is no way that that vase is coming back together if you're playing a nancy drew puzzle game it would yeah but then (laughs) elizabeth's like okay you want to say that i'll go get the glue because we should glue this whole thing together right now as we're literally moving out of this building because that seems smart as opposed to picking up the pieces and gluing it together in the new house like well what are you doing i honestly thought that elizabeth would break it 
Abigail would come up and say something about how it had sentimental value, which she kind of does. And then I thought maybe Abigail, or I thought maybe Elizabeth would take the pieces and make it into a mosaic or something that was like a, like a keepsake for yeah. Abigail since it was already broken. Like use it to make like a, a bird or, or so, you know, like to make something like a mosaic to give her. Yeah. But also just how how lame of Elizabeth that she's walking around reading the play. Look, we all understand you're under time crunch, but can you just keep your eyes on what you're doing? Like, you just tripped and fell into Jack's arms and then did the same thing again, except into you broke a, vase. a family heirloom that had sentimental value. Like, can you just pay attention to what's going on and read the play later? She's and also, just gesturing that, all over the place. That vase is obviously of a material where, because Abigail indicates this is broken before. My son used to knock it over all the time. Yeah. But that material it was made of, there was, there was just no way. It doesn't break evenly. It didn't look like something that could be put back together. Yeah. And also, was that an homage to uh, the Brady Bunch uh, where she says, um, Peter. I always I always told Peter not to play ball in the house. Don't, Don't play, play ball, ball in, the in the house. Mom yeah, always well, I mean, says. They got to they gotta put up these people as the new, the new um, best TV family, you know. We're trying to beat out the Brady Bunch for that position. See, Alice would have just glued it back together and nobody would have known differently. exactly never talk about it again well any last thoughts before we wrap up i think they you know they did a lot of work in the jack and elizabeth relationship they they progressed things and you're start. i agree like you were saying earlier morgan you're you're starting to feel like they're on the same page with things now i think this is sort of the i like the direction abigail's going in a more sort of bold i'm gonna step out and do something uh direction i think this is the first time where i really felt like wow i i you know, he, Gowan didn't look good with the whole painting row house situation, but at, when he let her sign that contract and then immediately turned around and said, you're going to fail. This is never going to work. On behalf of Abigail, I was a little bit, I was a little bit outraged. Just, he was pretty rude to her face. And he, that's where I feel like they're really starting to build Gowan in the direction of uh, a villain, more of a villainous character. He's been sort of ambiguous for a majority of things. And, like, um, you know, in that one family, he sort of is seems like he's trying to be the, a nice guy. But then he seems to pivot right there to, okay, now I understand as an audience member, we're not supposed to like him. And I think that's going to, maybe that will be a continuing sort of theme that they'll start with his character. And that's one of the things that makes me like Gowan throughout the whole series is that you never really know what his mm-hmm. motivation is. You're not ever quite sure. Is he the bad guy right now? Or is he the good guy right now? Yeah. Which makes him an interesting character. And I feel like, you know, right now I think they're doing a really good job. The plots are really fairly complicated. The acting is really good. You know, we're getting a lot of background information on people, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I think as the series progresses, sometimes people fall into stereotypes a little bit. And he's one where you're like, I don't really know how to peg him. Like, which way does he go? Sometimes he's a good guy, sometimes he's a bad guy. But um, another thing that I thought of is they're kind of making it seem like besides his um, awkwardness with Elizabeth, Jack is kind of, like, the perfect character. Like, he... 
he can sew and he can paint and he has a backstory where he, you know, he can get people to come back to the town and he graduated with honors and he's actually smart. And it's kind of just like, man, he, this guy can do anything, is I guess. Is he perfect? I'm sorry, though. A whip stitch is not does not equate to sewing up a leg wound. That is not the same thing remotely. Did you see how his thread fell out of the needle as he was yes, trying I to yes. that? It was not well done. I do think it's interesting because he kind of jokes about, well, you should see what, uh, or the bear's still talking about it or whatever with his leg. But mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting to think like he went through some sort of fairly traumatic accident with his knee and we don't really find out. And he just exactly hikes up his happened. pant leg right there and shows her the scar. Like, <laughs> there, you know, there's a, there's a name for that trope. I forget what it is, but there's a name for that trope of being the character who's good at everything. Hmm. He's a jack of all everything. trades. Yeah. <laughs> oh, everything boo. except for talking to Elizabeth, apparently. Well, <laughs> he, he sews. He paints murals. He's a brave and courageous Mountie. He saves people's lives. He rescues baby birds out of ovens. He just he does it all, apparently. Apparently. You know, I, I have to say, woe be to anyone who goes into business with a business partner who believes that their business is going to fail. That's just not, that's not a good situation to start out in. And I feel like we might see him taking some, you know, you get the idea that if they fall into some hard times or something like that, Spite's not going to make him a very good business partner for Abigail. Mm. Overall, I think we're still talking about some interesting and difficult topics uh, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, and traumatic injuries, and things that happen to people. These are really serious things that people contend with, things that make life difficult. So there are stories that have um, that have a lot of meaning to them in terms of the kinds of things that, that people suffer in life. And it's sort of, it shows the heart of the show that they're wanting to, to show. These are difficulties that people experience in life, but ultimately with a positive message that you have the ability to overcome your life Mm. still has meaning and we can still improve ourselves improve our community and keep taking steps in the right direction well I agree I think uh they're you know still doing some really good and interesting plots and like you said dealing with some hard subjects but doing it well so um it'll be Exciting to see what happens in the next two episodes. So it's been a while since I've seen this season and it's good to be going back through it and just a lot of material there. So um, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.